Avengers, he was not that Captain America equivalent I wanted him to be. Uh, and in the when he finally got his own book in Jungle Action, he got beat up too much for me. Now, this is a point that Dwayne McDuffie and I debate about a lot. Because Dwayne is like, I love that stuff. I love when he was just beat to a pulp and then he came back and won anyway. I'm like, nah, nah, I don't know. I, I got no appetite for that. I mean, I don't see Batman being built, built to a pulp and come back. No, I'm not checking for that, Dwayne. <laughs> so, you know, there's not, there's not a monolithic opinion. That was just my take. Like, I did not want to beat down like that. We're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. No disrespect to the Mexican community. No disrespect to the Mexican community. No disrespect to the Mexican community. You have a right to your own heroes and Mexican children have a right to see their heroes in their own image. I totally support the right of Mexican children to see heroes in their own image. So respect to the Mexican community. With that being said, I did not take my children to see Black Panther 2 so they can watch Mexican superheroes whip the shit out of black superheroes. I'm going to say it again. And I don't care who don't like it. As far as I'm concerned, it was a total disgrace to watch a movie where everything black children held sacred about the Wakandans was shown to be possessed by the underwater Mexicans. Vibranium was supposed to be native to Wakanda. But Ryan Coogler and whoever else wrote that horrible screenplay gave the underwater Mexicans vibranium too and made them as strong as the Wakandans. Why would you build up Black Panther as strongly as you did in the first movie only to turn around and tear the damn thing down? The Mexicans were clearly stronger than the Africans in that movie. The Mexicans were whipping our ass the whole movie. 
Now, mention the words Black Panther, and you might think of the black empowerment group that was active in the late 60s and 70s. But before the political group, Black Panther was the first black superhero in mainstream American comics. Now, more than 40 years later, the superhero is back in a new animated TV and DVD series based on the original comic. The 12-episode series is a partnership between Marvel Knights Animation and the cable network BET. It is inspired by a graphic novel written by filmmaker and former president of entertainment for BET. BET Network's Reginald Hudlin. And Reginald Hudlin is with us now from our studios at NPR West. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, you're too young to have been a devotee of the original Black Panther, I think. So how, uh, did, you, uh, how did you get interested in it? Uh, that is not true. Uh, my older brother would bring home copies. Uh, he would not let me touch them unless I washed my hands first. But I grew up reading uh, Fantastic Four 52, which was the debut of the Black Panther. Okay, so you did know about it from childhood. So what what made you want to do this new version of the series? Well, the the amazing thing about the Black Panther is, first of all, um, the Black Panther comic book in the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense debuted in the same year, in 1966. So you have these brothers in Oakland and these two Jewish guys in New York who have the same brilliant idea at the same time, which is Black Panther is a very cool name. (laughs) True. And the Black Panther superhero is a perfect idea. He's an African king who's also a superhero. He has this technologically advanced country uh, that is completely independent. He's wealthy. He's intelligent. He's brave and strong. He's as perfect a creation as Superman or Batman or uh, any of the, uh, you know, great comic book characters. Can I just ask, I think what I'm wondering is, did you always have this idea rattling around in your head that this is something you wanted to do something with at some point? Or was there a eureka moment for you that made you think, yes, now is the time? I always wanted to write comic books. And the irony is, it's easier to break into film and television than it is to break into the comic book business. So after years of success in film and television, I got to uh, get a meeting at Marvel, and I told them about my passion. And they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to write Black Panther. So I left that meeting with a job. Okay, well, here it is. Let's play a clip from the first episode. This is where Black Panther encounters Captain America in his kingdom of Wakanda. This is just after the end of World War II. Let's play a short clip. Here it is. Maybe you just lop off the head of every newcomer who hits town. If we did that, you wouldn't have yours. But those Nazis were here for a reason. Yes, to steal our vibranium, the mineral that can only be found here in Wakanda. Hitler needs it for the next generation of their missile systems, as do you. These are dangerous times. You need to choose a side. We have our own. So I want to mention that the, you've got some big-name talent voicing the characters. The voice of Black Panther is that of the Academy Award-nominated actor Jaiman Hunsu, originally from Benin in West Africa. You've also got Kerry Washington, Alfre Woodard, the, uh, singer Jill Scott. That must have been fun. Was it hard to get people to participate in this? Or was this one of those things where people said the same thing as you, which is, oh, no, no brainer, let me in? Fortunately, it was the latter. Uh, I approached Jaiman uh, first, and Jaiman said, yes, I've been tracking this project. So uh, he was immediately on board and enthusiastic. 
Uh, same with Kerry Washington, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Alfie Wooden, another dear friend of mine. Uh, my favorite story is actually from Jill Scott, who uh, is, of course, very well known as a singer, but also as an actress. She was in uh, an HBO series playing an, an, an African detective. And so when I approached her about playing Storm uh, in the in the animated series, she said, you know, when I was a kid, I made a list of things, of goals. And one of them was to play Storm. So I'm happy you called, but I'm not surprised. This is Tell Me More from NPR News. I'm Michelle Martin. I'm speaking with Reginald Hudlin, the creator of a new animated series based on the comic superhero, The Black Panther. Now, the series to this point has aired on Australia TV. Do I have mm-hmm. that right? Yes. Is, is it slated for a U.S. appearance? Uh, it is not. Um, it, you know, it's actually, when we create the series, it's sold in a lot of territories all over the world. Uh, but right now, BET has the rights to air it in the U.S. And when we originally produced the series, in, in the time in between, they've changed programming direction. And they're saying that the show is too male and too young uh, for their audience. I am curious about who you think will be interested in it. Well, I can tell you uh, in the U.S. because we've recent on DVD for about a month now, and it is one of the fastest-selling DVDs in Marvel history. Um, you know, it's uh, they've it's outselling similar DVDs from uh, about X-Men and Iron Man, and those are characters who've had major feature films, but Black Panther is selling faster than in both of those. But, but it is curious, though, that you haven't found yet a distribution platform, you know, over the air. I mean, I think some might argue that it is violent, I think it's rather violent. I don't know if you think so, but mm-hmm. it is not more violent than a number of video games that are widely available and are shown. I'm just wondering if you have an opinion about why there hasn't been a, a broadcast or cable distribution yet. Well, I mean, most animated shows on television, they fall into two categories. One of them is programming for children. And as you said, this is uh, a little sophisticated uh, in terms of the violence, uh, in terms of the, some of the political stuff. And most of the adult-oriented stuff tends to be family comedy, a la The Simpsons, Family Guy, um, The Cleveland Show, things like that. This is a different kind of thing. It is dramatic. It is, you know, politically provocative. And all those things, I think, are a plus, and which is why it's been a huge success to a very, very broad audience. I have to say that the reviews have been uniformly enthusiastic, uh, again, the you know the sales have been great. The first week we sold out uh, in stores all over the country. So the question isn't is it something that people want to see because the numbers speak for themselves. The you know the DVD is selling incredibly well. Yes, you it's, mentioned that about three or four times. Thank you. I'm Rachel. sorry. <laughs> Nicely I'm done. Sorry. But no, uh... because, I, but I, I, I emphasize that only to say that one of the most frustrating things is that these. There is this so-called convention of wisdom about black superheroes, that black comic books don't sell and black superheroes don't sell. And a lot of the battle for black creators is overcoming these really erroneous presumptions. And, for example, look at Blade. Blade has had three movies, each of whom have made over $100 million. But Blade comic books don't sell. So you go, well... Is there a problem with the character? Well, no. Is there a problem with the audience? No, clearly there's an audience. There's a disconnect between getting the audience that wants to see it access to this character. And that is the frustrating thing um, when you do a something like the Black Panther because 
you know, you know there's an audience, and when the audience does get a chance to grab it, they're very enthusiastic. I talked to parents who actually, when they had the I wrote the comic book as well, they would they would read the comic book to their kids at night, like a bedtime story. Um, I know adults who said, look, forget my kids, I just want to watch this. And it's not a male-female thing, it's not a, a black, white, Latin, Asian thing. Uh, I have talked to 40-year-old white men who said, I dressed up as Black Panther when I was seven years old for Halloween. So it, it's a very broad audience. Whatever you think might be the stumbling blocks aren't really there. So we know what your costume will be for this Halloween. Um, <laughs> but, but before we let you go, you mentioned that when the original Black Panther came out, it came out at the same time, the, the, the original comic, it came out at the same mm -hmm. time that the movement, the political movement was born, and it clearly was some sort of a resonance. What is it you think people are responding to now in your series? Well, I think, you know, the idea of an uncompromised, unabashedly heroic black man. I mean, black men get a lot of bashing in the press. At the same time, there's so many heroes from in popular media, from Sidney Poitier to Denzel Washington to, to Will Smith. And I think there's a tremendous hunger from all audiences for a black superhero, not an anti-hero, but a hero, a guy who is independent, who stands on his own feet. Uh, the same way we cheer for the independence movements that are that's happening throughout Africa and the Middle East, because you see people standing up and fighting for what's right. The Black Panther represents those ideals played out on a big, fantastic scale. Reginald Hudlin is one of the creators of the animated series, The Black Panther. He's a filmmaker. He's also the former president of entertainment for the cable network, BET. But today we're talking about some earlier aspects of Hudlin's interesting career. He burst on the scene with the 1990s Sundance hit House Party, which he wrote and directed. Since then, he stayed busy writing and directing movies and TV. He was a producer on Django Unchained, which earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Picture in 2012. He's had his share of other jobs, too, sometimes concurrently. Is this right? You were basically running BET and writing Black Panther comics? Did I screw yes. up the <laughs> like, No, how, no, no. How no. is that a thing? I don't even get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I, it's a couple of, you know, sometimes random phone calls are awesome, right? Yes. So, or not, but yes. But yes. <laughs> sometimes. So I got a random phone call and they were like, well, we're looking for, you know, the first kind of president of entertainment for BET. We're going to make this plunge into original programming and we'd like you to be that person. So I said, run the biggest black media company in the world. And I've never been an executive before. Yes, that sounds <laughs> like perfect on the job training. I'll do that. So I did that. Um, now, at the same time, I had, uh, met with people at Marvel because I read comic books my whole life. And uh, through a series of friends, I ended up in the offices of Marvel Comics. I was just talking about you know, what a fan I was and the books I liked and the artists I like and the writers. So at the end of the meeting, they said, well, which book are you going to write? And I, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was here in, being interviewed for a job. I just came because I was a fan. So they said, yeah, well, what book? So I said, Black Panther. And they said, sure. So I started writing. Uh, I got a six-issue miniseries. So I said, well, I told my friends very excitedly, like, yes, I'm going to be running this big company, but... 
I'm going to be writing some comic books. <laughs> like, this is exciting. As one does. Yes. Yeah. And um, they said, that's great, Reggie. Now, who was that again? Because no one knew who Black Panther was. So I wrote this story out called Who's the Black Panther? I said, look, at the time, Marvel movies weren't the thing that they are now. Right. They were like licensing the characters yes, to wherever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that was so there was no promise that there would ever be a Black Panther movie. I would say there was the opposite of a promise. That would be, would be, that would be more Panther accurate. Movie. So I said, look, I'm just going to... Well, here's the thing. Again, there's just a fact, right? And the fact is, what we owe the Marvel Universe to is Blade. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me what that means. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a little detour. <laughs> we think of all oh, the beginning of the Marvel movies being... Uh, Iron Man. This... Yeah, no? well, but even that before that, too? you go, there's, but even in the licensed world, right? Oh, you got, okay. you know, the Sony Spider-Man movies and the Fox, I mean, uh, and the Fox X-Men movies. Right. But preceding those is New Line's Blade with Wesley Snipes. Okay, so, okay. Three yes. movies. Not a geek, but yeah. I, vague bell, go ahead. But I'm with you, I, I got you. You got me. Three movies, all of which made over $100 million. Right? Right. Out of a character oh, that... That's, that's impressive. ...wasn't even a hit comic book, but put into the big screen with the right star and the right filmmaking, huge success, right? And that's more of a test case that proves the Iron Man idea even more than Spider-Man or X-Men. Right. Right? Because Spider-Man and X-Men, those are characters... They're more known. Known. They had hit cartoon series. There was a, there was a base of audience awareness, Right. Blade, not so much. So you could take a character that was not very well known and make a huge box office success. So that was a bigger foreshadowing of what would become with Iron Man and Thor in those films, even more than the Spider-Man and X-Men test cases. So you're writing this Who is Black Panther? Right. So I write Who is Black Panther, and it sells huge. I mean, it actually outsells when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby did Black Panther, right? So it's a big success, but that doesn't mean anything because it's still Black Panther. Like, yeah, so, not the White Panther, Black right? Panther. But they did say, "Well, what if you just kept writing?" And I was like, "Wow, I've got this huge new job." I'm, <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> so, um, I will have to say, in the three, four years I wrote Black Panther, I never missed a deadline. I turned in all my books on time and it would be crazy. I'd be flying between New York and LA and on the red eye and I'd be writing the new issue and just send it off to the artists and then go do my other job, you know, programming a network. And that was okay for you. <laughs> it was tough, but it was fun. Right. Fun is important. Fun is everything. Cause if you're not having fun, you're working. Right. Right. So I. Words I, to live by. And, you know, like when I set out to be a filmmaker in the first place, it's not like that seemed possible. That was ridiculous. Well, I was, yeah, I mean. I mean, my friends who were, they were pre-law and pre-med and they would look at me and go, God, if, if I did that, my parents would kill me. I go, I get it. I, it just seemed like, well, it's all hard. So if you're going to work hard. Why do, not have fun? Yeah. And it's worked out. Did, um, I mean, did you ever talk to anybody at Marvel about Black Panther movie? Yeah, but it um, it seemed that the writing I did in the comic book, and I did an animated series, 
was kind of politically provocative. And I, I, I don't know that that was a problem, but I think it might have been a problem. Provocative? Yeah. Like the first issue, Black Panther beats the stuffing out of Captain America. Oh, oops. Yeah. And uh, a, that caused a lot of uproar with fans. I, I'm, my knowledge of comic books is not enough to delve, but... Uh... Well, I mean, you know, the... Anyway, um, there was a lot of controversy, which led to sales, by the way. Um, so I just, it, it encouraged me to do more stuff like that. I did not take my children to see Black Panther 2 so they can watch Mexican superheroes with the shit out of black superheroes. Like the first issue, Black Panther beats the stuffing out of Captain America. Oh, oops. Yeah. And uh, a, that caused a lot of uproar with fans. Well, it, you know, it, it kind of happened very random that I even got the opportunity to write the Black Panther. I was doing storyboards for a TV commercial, and lots of times I use comic book reference, like, I want to punch like Jack Kirby, I want this or that. And the storyboard artist I was working with says, hey, do you like Neil Adams' work? I'm like, oh, Neil Adams, he's a god, of course. So then he pulls out his phone, he calls Neil Adams and puts me on the phone. I'm like, I'm talking to Neil Adams, this is bananas. <laughs> so Neil says that I should visit him next time I come to New York. So a month later or so, I'm in New York. I, you know, I go by Neil's studio. We're chatting. I'm just happy to be there. And Neil goes, "Hey, you ever wrote comic books?" I said, "No." He says, "Would you like to?" I go, "Yeah." So he pulls out his phone and he calls Joe Quesada. So then the next day, I'm having a meeting with Joe Quesada, and. Uh, Joe brings in Axel Alonso, his, who's his executive editor, and we started talking, and he goes, well, do you want to write a comic book? And I said, yeah. So basically I left with the assignment of Black Panther, and uh, virtually it was just going to be a six-issue miniseries, and then it turned into an ongoing series. Well, there's a couple things. One, I, I wanted to lock in who the character was in a very definitive way. Uh, because I thought Stan and Jack wrote a very strong character. And subsequent renditions of the character went kind of up and down. Uh, like a lot of his run in the Avengers, he was not that Captain America equivalent I wanted him to be. Uh, and in the when he finally got his own book in Jungle Action, he got beat up too much for me. Now, this is a point that Dwayne McDuffie and I debate about a lot. Because Dwayne is like, I love that stuff. I love when he would just beat to a pulp and then he came back and won anyway. I'm like, nah, nah, I don't know. I, I got no appetite for that. I mean, I don't see Batman being built, built to a pulp and come back. No, I'm not checking for that, Dwayne. <laughs> so, you know, there's not, there's not a monolithic opinion. That was just my take. Like, I did not want to beat down like that. What I did love was Christopher Priest's take. 
you know, he really elevated the intelligence and the dermalagia, the, like the female bodyguards who, who can go wrong with kick-ass female bodyguards. Uh, all that stuff was great. So I saw that. I loved that. So when they gave me a chance to write the book, I was like, wow, I get to kind of really lock in a lot of those ideas. And a lot of ideas I didn't think were controversial, but turned out to be controversial. Like, I always read the book like Wakanda was always an unconquered country. That's the whole point of the book. But then when I stated that explicitly in my rendition, they were like, well, that's not true. Uh, You know, in issue 255, and I'm like, dude, beat it. (laughs) Like, I don't care. So, uh, so I, I liked it when I thought with the keep, because to me, the whole point is, why do they have this advanced technology? Because historically, historical fact, you know, in Benin, they had metal alloys where people in Europe were living in caves. So you go, okay, if at one point people in Africa had this cultural head start, well, what if that head start never stopped? What if you didn't have invaders to throw the whole, their whole uh, game off? They just kept that head start the whole time. And that's the fundamental premise of the book. And also, they're, the, they're this fierce warrior tribe because what does it take to never be conquered? From neighboring African tribes to European invaders to whoever, you've got to really, at least once a generation, whoop ass on a pretty massive scale. So I thought, well, those are the two fundamental things that define who the Black Panther is and define everything else about the culture. Um, so to me, that was the, the key part of key part of it. I did not take my children to see Black Panther 2 so they can watch Mexican superheroes whip the shit out of black superheroes. Like the first issue, Black Panther beats the stuffing out of Captain America. Oh, oops. Yeah. And uh, a, that caused a lot of uproar with fans. With fans. Activity Radio, and I'm your host, John J. Horse. Welcome. You have found your family in a peaceful play.
CAR is a family-friendly information distribution program seeking to inform non-white people, in particular, black classifieds, and assisting in counter-racist codification. The title of today's episode is Reggie Hudlin's Black Panther Review by John G. Horse. And before we get into the work, we gotta let this beat do what it do. Uh, uh. PAR is a family-friendly information distribution program dedicated to creating less confusion for people subject to non-white in particular black classification. Less confusion with the ultimate goal of solving problems. Replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice. Immediately. John G. Horse's cash app is dollar sign capital J O H N capital H O R S E. Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time. Time. begin as always the question this is your gracious and humble host john g horse you have indeed found your family in a peaceful place and i like to get out my complimentary shout out to all the law-abiding hard-working blue-collar john henryism practitioners i do it for you I do it for we. Let's get it in. The title of today's episode is again Reggie Hudlin's Black Panther Review. Black Panther, comic book, graphic novel, animated series, whatever you want to call it. I thought it would be constructive to actually acknowledge a fellow victim by the name of Reggie Hudlin. You heard him in the earlier clips. Kind of break down how he got into the business. Kind of break down how he got mixed up with Marvel. And kind of break down how he wound up writing what he thought was a constructive version of what we know as the fiction comic book character. Black Panther. You understand me? Now, this is before the Disney film version of the Black Panther, which was nothing like old Reggie Hudlin's version. And I thought it would be constructive to actually give a positive show about non, a non-white person in particular, a person subject to black classification, Reggie Hudlin, working in the killing fields of the Hollywood industry, who was act, who uh, took the time with the opportunity he had to, from my perspective, and I could be in error, but from my perspective, create something that was constructive for folks like myself who attempts to parent offspring. offspring. That being said, let me lower my voice. I don't know why I'm hooping and hollering. 
This beat done got into my spirit. It's sizzling, drizzling, and fizzling all up in my spirit. But let's move on. So Reggie Hudlin uh, took a self-respect, and as we like to call it here on PAR, a black self-respect position as he wrote his version of Black Panther. And from that perspective is where old John G picked up the baton. And as soon as I found that thing, I had to disseminate the content upside the heads of my attempted offspring. But let me give you the story to how I actually found out about the animated cartoon series written by Reggie Hudlin, Black Panther, from Marvel Knights, if I'm not mistaken. So for years, it was a struggle for old John G., the attempted parent, to find constructive content for his attempted offspring that would have their likeness and or uh, cartoons in their image superheroes in their image constructive cartoons in their image and for a while I was beating them over the head with little Bill from Bill Cosby Fat Albert from Bill Cosby um and there was a show with a little doctor she was a little girl Dr. McStuffins and I, I don't even know Bill Cosby I had something to do with that too but my kid was getting beat over the head with Bill Cosby. It was so bad, they would ask for superhero movies, which it wasn't really that much in the early 2000s outside of Meteor Man, produced by, guess who, Bill Cosby, and I believe uh, Robert Townsend directed and uh, starred in it. Uh... Leonard Part 6, which was made in 1987, starring Bill Cosby. I can't believe I hadn't even mentioned uh, the Static Shock cartoon series. Oh, my goodness. They were getting beat down with that also. All seasons had to uh, search and excavate and find those uh, DVDs so we can uh, take those wherever we went. That kind of... Gave me a little bit of relief. Let me tell you, the struggle was real. And the struggle, to a certain extent, is still real today. But let's move on. Um, uh, 1998, Wesley Snipes did make the Blade movie series, which kind of uh, it's going to be the topic of a show soon to come because the Blade movie series is kind of tied into Reggie Hudlin uh, Reggie Hudlin's motivation in writing the Black Panther comic book which he and uh, Wesley Snipes uh, they campaigned to get the rights to make a not a Blade movie but a Black Panther film back in the 90s a lot of stuff happened it fell through they actually had 
something on board and they were going ahead with it. But you, in Hollywood, you know, they say you got it, but then you don't. Uh, and I believe Wesley Snipes got his own uh, movie distribution film production company and partnered with Marvel and eventually got a throwaway character that ain't nobody care nothing about whose name was Blade. But we're not going to go into that right now. I just want to throw that little tidbit out because we're talking about Reggie Hudlin. And um, it's kind of on the topic. Let's move on. But in 2005, there was a cartoon uh, titled Golden Blaze, which was made in comic book form. Uh, I believe the, the voiceover uh, star in this particular installment was Blair Underwood. I believe Sanaa Lathan was involved with it. Michael Clark Duncan was involved with it. It was a very constructive uh, cartoon with non-white, in particular, black classified characters uh, giving out a constructive message, none of the buffoonery and the, the silliness. Uh, and, I, and I had to find, excavate, and find that DVD so I can uh, pound that thing down my kid's throat. Just not necessarily abusing them, but I use that term because they're pounded and beat down with non-constructive images, whereas whenever they go in the school system, uh, whenever they turn on their televisions, whenever they turn on the radio, as a parent, it's it's uh, you're burning midnight oil trying to uh, give your kids some type of defense from the onslaught of non-constructive behaviors, culture, and images that's pounded on them day in, day out. Seven days a week, days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year, non-stop. Stop. Stop. Let's move on. And 2010, I was doing my research, trying to find something current and fresh, because my kids were getting older and they were becoming accustomed to uh, special effects, and they had got a taste in their mouth of the big screen with the Blade series. And there was this little image I saw of the Marvel character, Black Panther, and it said, motion comic DVD. I was like, what? So I'm looking all over the United States, you know, the platforms at the time that would be distributing this particular DVD, which was the Black Panther, uh, comic gra graphic comic series. I, I cannot get the title of the graphic, the motion comic series, the graphic comic series. I think I'm saying it correct. If I'm not, y'all can Google while I'm talking. Let me move on. Y'all know old John G's getting old. Uh, I actually found a distributor out of Australia at the time. I didn't even know the history behind this particular motion comic or graphic comic DVD. All I knew is I'm going to get my hand on that particular DVD. So I, you know, looked up the distribution company in Australia. Uh, they had a price. It was a hefty price. Uh, paid the price and waited the next two to three weeks for that thing to get to 
my residence, and it actually came. And I opened it up, you know, and as I'm watching it, just to give it a quick, uh, give it a quick, uh, what do you call it when you're looking at some inspection, give it a quick inspection. And I'm looking at it and it starts off, you know, nice little uh, soundtrack. I mean, the beat was popping, you know, and I'm not going to give you no spoilers, but I'm going to tell you this. First episode, Black Panther stomped a mud hole in Captain America. I was sold. I ran and got my kids, and we watched that thing through and through, over and over for years. And this is in 2010, so let's get all the way up to, what was it, 2018, 2019? I forget when the first Black Panther feature movie came out. We was all lathered up. Oh, oh, we Black Panther, he don't play no games. He be... He puts, he puts in work. So you can imagine our disappointment when we saw the Disney version of Black Panther. My kids looked at me and said, Daddy, what the heck was that? Because that ain't had nothing to do with no Black Panther. Not the Black Panther we know. Not the Black Panther on the Reggie Hudlin version of the comic book character. He whoops behind. My kids are looking at me talking about Black Panther was the one taking all the whoopings in the first Black Panther film as well as my children, like most Black American children, resonated with the Killmonger character who was supposed to be the antagonist. But we sitting there rooting for him. Everything he's saying making sense, which is the reason why I had to play our fellow victim, our beloved Dr. Umar Johnson's uh, emotional review on Black Panther Part 2. I thought that it would be, you know, a little uh, comic relief, but a lot of things that... Uh, our beloved Dr. Umar Johnson was saying in the clip that I played earlier is how uh, most of us less confused victims subject to non-white, in particular, black classification felt walking out of the theaters after that letdown, which is promoted as some sort of remarkable feat but it was a imagery letdown of what we know of who we know the Black Panther character to be. Yes, this is fiction. Yes, this is make-believe. Yes, this is fantasy. But when you understand the system of racism, white supremacy, it is political and it is warfare in all areas of people activity. Now that's either true or it's not true. And if in case, that is true, then this was a magnificent piece of warfare created by our beloved Reginald Hudlin. He put his career on the line because when they started to select writers for the Disney version of Black Panther, our beloved Reggie Hudlin, who put Black Panther back on the map, didn't get no phone call 
that's millions of dollars that he sacrificed to make an artistic counter-racist black self-respect statement into our beloved Reginald Hudlin. I give you a black self-respect salute and I hope for all those who listen to this even if you're not a fan of cartoons, even if you're not a fan of comic books, fantasy, science fiction, make-believe, I would say and or recommend that you watch Redley, Reggie Hudlin's, Reginald Hudlin's, let me put respect on his name, the great beloved Reginald Hudlin's version of the Black Panther comic book animated series almost guarantee if you think that you're less confused you will not be disappointed with the art and creativity that our fellow victim Reggie Hudlin created now that's either true or it's not true and I hope and I hope I have contributed, I have contributed to, less to less confusion. And always, and always remember, remember, keep learning, keep learning. and stay codified.